and welcome innovative author, speaker, advocate, and change agent, Dr. Bonnie Benita with a view on the new legendary WIGL AM 1570 begins right now. Hello, this is Dr. Bonnie Benito with The View. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're just so excited about having spent a wonderful Mother's Day with my family, uh, my son and my daughter, uh, and I have a grandson. Can you imagine? Frank the Fourth. And uh, I'm just so happy. God has just really blessed our family, and I just want to say congratulations to you and your family and for taking care of your mom, the aunts, the nieces, uh, the grandmas, the stepmoms the mother-in-laws, uh, the godmothers, every mother uh, should be valued and respected. And speaking of mothers, uh, we have a caller on the line today. I think it's Miss Johnson, a registered nurse that wants to talk with us today about neonatal care, prenatal care, and also what's going on within the African-American community as the birth rates decline within the family and the family unit. And I would not be remiss without saying uh, hello to Pastor James Hunter, my co-host. He is away in Mobile, Alabama, spending a wonderful time with his family. But hello, Miss Latoya Johnson. How are you today? I am doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. And I spoke with you briefly about what's going on within the African-American community as it relates to mothers and parenting. And I'd like to find out a little bit more about your area of services and what you decide by way of the family unit, how things may work, should work might work, can wish and hope work, or but you know the real deal. So I'd like for you to share your thoughts on, uh, on neonatal care, uh, the birth rate of, uh, of African-American children, uh, the percentages, those things that we discussed a little bit earlier. Absolutely. So um, like you said, coming off of Mother's Day, I think this is a perfect time to discuss Black maternal health. Um, because when it comes to black maternal health, there are racial disparities that exist. Um, you know, based on the numbers, um, black women are three times more likely to die from a pregnancy-related cause than white women. You got to be kidding. Mul- oh, my no. God. And, and there's multi- multiple factors that contribute to these disparities. But um, number one, uh, one thing is qualities in health care. Um, uh, there's a lot of underlying health conditions, which, you know, as far as health disparities, African-Americans are more prone to high blood pressure, diabetes. There's just structural racism. Um, and, you know, like in the, in a major city like Atlanta, you, you may see a lot of African-American providers in the, in the community. However, that doesn't necessarily exist in other areas and other regions. And then along with that comes some implicit bias. It's been spoken before that, you know, black women are deemed strong and have a higher tolerance for pain. And a lot of times black women, their complaints are not really taken seriously and they could be having something underlying that is very serious. And when that happens and they're not heard, then it can cause things again, like, like, uh, birth complications, or ultimately uh, pregnancy mortality for either the mother or the fetus. Okay. So what do you think we should be doing as a race and as a culture then to help prevent some of these negative outcomes? Well, first thing is what we're doing now, getting the word out there, letting people know that this does exist. Of course, uh, uh, pregnancy mortality is not as common as it was 50 years ago, 100 years ago. However, it does still exist. And again, the, it, it's, it's, it's the, a black woman is three times more likely to die with the pregnancy-related cause than a white woman. So we don't want anyone to die from a pregnancy-related cause that is preventable and treatable. Okay. So the and, first thing to do is get the word out there. Okay. And so if if I'm a, an African-American female and I'm pregnant, I should do more health checks? What should I do to change the, the 
status quo, so to speak? What, what, what would I do to change that so that I am not a s- statistic? Right, absolutely. So the first thing is, as soon as you're aware of the pregnancy, you should go see your doctor right away. Um, make sure that you're following your normal uh, follow-up schedule. Um, make sure you have a doctor that you feel uh, listens to you. When you make a complaint or you have a question, that they're answering your questions, that they're addressing your concerns immediately. Um, if, if try to try to uh, get someone that is, has cultural sensitivity that understands the needs and the different set of concerns that a pregnant black woman may have. Okay, and you think the needs of a pregnant black woman are, is different than the needs of a European or a Caucasian woman? Potentially, just because there's different health concerns by race. So there are things that should typically be more focused on when it comes to a pregnant African-American woman than, than a woman of another race. Okay, so let me ask you a question. You mentioned hypertension, diabetes. So is there a way that or a system we could utilize to help reduce the cause and effects of hypertension, diabetes, overweight, uh, those things that, that, that are probably not healthy for the child. What, what do you think we can do as a whole and as a community? Absolutely. So one of the first things we can do is, you know, plan a pregnancy. Be at your healthiest, the healthiest person you can be at the time that you become pregnant. Um, and and see your providers, manage your weight, manage any conditions like blood pressure, um, have a plan prior to becoming pregnant so that at the time you become pregnant, you can, you can have the best chance of having a healthy pregnancy and a successful delivery. Great. Okay, so let me ask you a question. So your background is what exactly, Ms. Johnson? I'm a registered nurse, and I also have a certification in case management. Okay, and then, so as a registered nurse, and you've been a registered nurse for how long? I've been a registered nurse for almost 20 years now. Amazing. Okay, and what drew you to that field? Um, Surprisingly enough, it was my own pregnancy. I was pregnant with my daughter, and I had so many questions and so many concerns, and I've, I've always been an inquisitive person. But I know there were other women around me who didn't ask questions, who didn't fully understand. And it just touched my heart to think, you know, who's advocating for them? Who's going to speak up on their behalf? Sometimes they just don't feel empowered to ask the questions, or sometimes they don't know the correct questions to ask. So when there's somebody who looks like them, has a similar experience to them, I can be an advocate and speak up on their behalf. Okay, so you do feel that the brown and the black family have a disadvantage as it relates to medical and health care? Absolutely, and and this is not just my thoughts. There's, there's a lot of research and numbers that show those disparities. Okay, and, and when you say lots of numbers, explain that for me. So, for example, um, just one quick example, there was a, a study done showing that when uh, African American patients complain of pain, their their complaint, complaint, pain complaints are typically not addressed as quickly as someone of another race, um, and 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 are or black women or are deemed as quote unquote strong, and they don't feel comfortable complaining about their pain, and therefore, pain a lot of times means there's something going on. And those are sometimes some of the first signs that there is an issue. And if those complaints of pain aren't addressed, then really important things could be missed. Okay. And then so when you say complain about pain, just a regular headache, what type of pain would you say? Right. Yeah, any kind. So during pregnancy, sometimes pain could mean something as serious as what's called a of uh, 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 the placenta could be detached, and you could be having those pains. Um, um, and, and then women aren't also also not necessarily educated on what 
are appropriate. There are some pains that may be appropriate during pregnancy, but there are some other pains that are not appropriate. Severe pain, um, you know, excessive bleeding, things of that nature, those signs and symptoms, maybe the patient won't know to report. Okay, so when you go into physician's office, Ms. Johnson, and they say, okay, your pain is from 1 to 10, which one is it? So what do you think the pain level should be before you report to a physician or health provider? Um, and, and that's a good question. Uh, different, different individuals have different pain tolerances. I would say speak to your body, but if for you personally you're having pain that is typically not bearable for you more than more than what you think is common or just trust your instinct because as a mother we have those instincts and something's not feeling right report it right away make sure whoever you who you're reporting to is taking it seriously and that they're following up on your concerns with testing and and other things you know some physical things not just having a conversation with you checking your blood pressure physical exams ultrasound, other tests that are objective that can possibly substantiate what your pain concerns are. Got you. So so let me ask you a question. So when they're talking about the infant mortality rate among African Americans, can you explain to us what that actually means? Sure. So infant mortality rate is basically um, what is the rate within a particular cultural group that children die either um, in utero or in infancy compared to other other um, cultures or other races. Okay, so when, they, when, when we speak about there being racial disparities in maternal and infant health, health mortality, that means that we're not be, being treated the same, we're not receiving the similar treatment of our white counterparts? Exactly, that's exactly what that means. Um, and, and one thing I can say is a good thing. Now, those, since those, those racial disparities are definitely documented to exist and are being recognized. The nurses, because that wasn't offered when I was in nursing school, that wasn't addressed. But now nurses that are going through school now and medical doctors that are going through school now, they're getting specific training to recognize and address those racial disparities. So, Ms. Johnson, when they speak about the maternal and infant health disparities and say that there are symptoms of a broader underlying social and economic inequality um, that we that's rooted in racism and also discrimination, can you tell us how you feel that uh, African-American, black and brown women are discriminated upon when they walk in with a pregnancy issue? Sure. So um, one of the things, like, so we talk about an economic disparity. They may not have access to health care. Maybe they don't have insurance. Maybe they have insurance, but they don't have uh, adequate coverage that they need. So they're, they're, health care experience is not going to be the same. They're not going to get everything that they should need, that they need and that they should get during their pregnancy because of the economic issue. And then where it comes to the racial bias, again, uh, they may not get treated the same. So it's very important uh, in pregnancy to deal with an organization and providers that understand these racial disparities and make sure that they're working towards overcoming them and giving giving the black mothers or brown mothers the same medical care and support that a the same level of care. So, exactly. so what I hear you say is the differences in health insurance coverage and access to premium health care, that that plays a role in the driving force of the inadequ- inadequacies, I would say, with the infant mortality rate and the outcomes for people of color? Absolutely. Okay, and is there any way we as a race, as a community, can do anything about that? Definitely. Speak up. Uh, reach out to your legislators. 
um, when it comes to, you know, there's a lot of things coming, um, changes coming to the Affordable Health Care Act. Let your legislation know that these these are these things are important to you and that, you know, it's going to reflect in voting if they're not addressing those things. So I hear you say and I'm understanding that you're saying the increased awareness and attention to maternal and infant health uh, may have contributed to the rise in efforts and resources that are focused on improving the health outcomes of our community. Absolutely. Okay. So, so given affordable health care, do you feel that the Obamacare, um, the American Health Care Act, do you think that that has played a role into assisting people of color, black and brown people? Absolutely, it, it, it has. It, it, it has narrowed the gap. Okay. So do, do you also feel that there were some disparities when there was COVID-19 among the treatment that black and brown uh, individuals were suffering from versus the, their white counterparts? Definitely, and it, and it reflected in the numbers of of deaths and and severe complications from COVID that happened. Okay, so when white America saying that it's it, it's our weight and it's us not living a healthy lifestyle, do you think? Or, well, they're they're acting like we're the victims about this, but do you think there's any validity to that? Um, I think that that objectively there could be but there's also this second piece where there's what what in our communities do we have safe parks and, and recreational areas do we have affordable gyms um food disparity is another thing that we could bring into this conversation do we have access to affordable healthy food can can we afford to have fresh vegetables versus things that are packaged and processed so that you're 100 percent correct in saying that. So but it's just amazing how a lot of times uh, white America view our plight and our issues so different. And sometimes we don't have the wherewithal to explain the difference to them. Sometimes they will listen. Sometimes they won't listen. But in a situation where we're trying to just make sure our children survive, what recommendations would you have for parents and would-be parents, mothers, grandmothers, aunts, nieces, cousins, uh, godmoms, stepmoms, uh, mother-in-laws? What would you say would be the key component to ensure the survival of our race and of our community? Um, number one, educate ourselves. Um, and educate others in our community, um, make make our our important issues known to the to the people that are representing us um, in the Senate, in the House of Representatives. Um, speak up about it. Speak to others about it. Speak to others about the plight or or about the issues that they're being faced with. Right, both. Okay. Okay. And do you think now the Republicans are stating that in raising the debt ceiling that the recipients should work for food stamps or should work for uh, the aid to dependent uh, families or welfare, as it's better known? Do you think that they should that the individuals should be made to work for? the food stamps or were a welfare. How do you feel? What's your feelings about that? The majority of the people who are receiving welfare and food stamps are working. Okay. So uh, it's just amazing how they can tell a story and it's perceived to be one way. So the majority of people that are on uh, the system, the public system, they are actually working. They are working. It's just it's really difficult to make ends meet. And it's even worse now with inflation. 
Okay, so you and then let me ask you a question. You said that there should be better uh, fresh foods and produce within the community. What's the best way to drive that home to individuals who are used to just running by McDonald's because it's some fast, cheap food? But as I understanding, it, it's not cheap anymore. They're, they're, now you can't get anything for five dollars. But what do you think the alternative is to fast food? Um, definitely, again, fresh foods. There are different programs like like Farm Share. Um, there are certain um, businesses they they may sell fresh food that may not look as pretty, but it's but they're still fresh, have the same nutritional values at a lower price. To shop around, to get educated on it, look for programs, look for different um, vendors. And, and really, you know, look at, uh, speak to a nutritionist about what, what's considered healthy food and then determine how you can get access to those things. Great. And then so let me ask you a question, Ms. Johnson. The nursing field, we're learning more and more that there are a lot of African-Americans that are going into the nursing field. What would you say are some of the major benefits of being a health care provider or a nurse? Well, that, the very thing that, that uh, drove me to come into this field, having the black experience and understanding where those patients are coming from and what adversities they face, um, what, you know, things in the community, even sometimes too, things in the community that may be old wives tell they have been passed down, um, you know, being able to have that benefit and and. Uh, and oversight and understanding and now with the actual educational knowledge being able to pass it on to the community great so so and then being a nurse what what would you say is your greatest uh, the greatest story you could tell about being a nurse and uh how that's really helped your life the really the greatest story about being a nurse to me is the educational component really being able to speak to patients and you know get them involved in their own health care making them feel comfortable and empowered to speak up for themselves giving them understanding understanding how anything impacts their condition what's the proper way to take their medication how to prevent uh certain diseases just that component that gives a person power over their own health. So, and then give me a, a not so happy experience that you've had within uh, the nursing field. Um, just uh, sometimes getting to a patient when it's too late or, or you know, very late in a disease process that could have been could have been prevented or been re- reversed had they gotten what they needed sooner. Okay, so you so let me ask you a question. How often should a female, African-American female, or any woman for that matter, go for annual checkup, annual physicals, annual exams, annual pelvic exams? What would you recommend? Well, and, and that's going to vary based on a woman's age and familiar history. However, it, you should at least yearly be going in to see your doctor once you're over 40, you should be getting breast exams. If you have a history of uh, breast cancer, you should be getting those mammograms sooner. If you go on healthcare.gov, there actually is information that kind of outlines based on your age and your race sometimes plays a part in it and your medical history or your family history, what what it should look like for you. But also talk to your doctor. You know, I'm this age. This is what I have. What what should my follow-up, what should my um, preventative care look like? Okay, and then what about exercise and diet? Do you have any suggestions for that? Because I know a lot of those extreme diets, uh, the cabbage soup diet, uh, the lemonade diet, uh, you know, the South Beach diet, all these different diets, and I'm learning at my age, it has to be a lifestyle because you lose weight for about, uh, I would say, uh, a few weeks, a few months, and it comes right back. So what would you say that's a healthy way to just keep the weight off? Would you just say it's all about exercise and lifestyle? Absolutely. Be active. At least 30 minutes a day, you should be active. 
Um, eat as much fresh fruit and vegetables. There's that saying, the more colorful your food is, the more healthy it is. Stay away from white and brown and bland colored foods. Get foods with color. Get things that are healthy. And I don't mean colorful candy. Okay. <laughs> healthy, healthy foods that are coming, um, you know, that are fresh, living food. Okay, great. And then what about uh, diet sodas, uh, a diet tea, uh, the 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 different types of uh, diet sugars. Um, how do you feel right. about and, and, those? Yeah, there's a couple issues with those. It's being, there's several um, studies that show different um, types of diet, uh, you know, sugar substitutes can cause cancers. That they can also adversely cause you to crave sugar and, con- you know, and, and, and you continue to have uh, more sugar. Stay away from that. Try to drink water. Eight glasses a day, like they say, is typical, unless you have a medical condition that you can't. But um, try to, you know, try to drink fresh fruit it, to a minimum, vegetable juice, and water. Okay. And then, so let me ask you a question. Can you please give us the website again that will list the vegetables and fruit, fruits and vegetables and the healthy choices that we need to make? Can you give us that website again? Sure. It's healthcare.gov, healthcare.gov. Oh, thank you. You know what? It has been a joy, Miss Johnson. Can I, can I ask a question you real sure quick? You sure can. That's my board operator, Eli. He'd like to talk to you. I've been doing a lot of, you've done a great, great conversation. I've been doing a lot of tea with honey. What about honey? Is it healthy? Honey is healthy. Like anything, though, it, you know, you have to watch how much you consume, but it's definitely a more healthy alternative than sugar. Than sugar. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Ms. Johnson, you have just been amazing. We thank you so much for visiting us. We'd love to have you back because you are a wealth of knowledge. And uh, I'd like to leave my audience with this before we go to the break, that again, uh, as Proverbs 22 and 6 says, you train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And thank you so much, Miss Johnson. And I look forward to seeing you on the other side. This is Dr. Bonnie Bonita with The View. You are listening to WIGO 1570 AM. Talk to you soon. We will be right back. Thank you, Eli. Dr. Bonnie Bonita with The View will be right back. You're listening to Dr. Bonnie Bonita. Bonnie Bonita with a view. We're going to take a music break. Then we've got a commercial coming up just for you. The phone number is 404-361-1571. That's 404-361-1571. If you'd like to get in on the conversation, you're listening to Dr. Bonnie Bonita. Bonnie with a view.
Have you lost a job, been sick or hospitalized, death in your family, and now unable to take care of your mortgage, and now facing foreclosure? If you or someone you know are facing foreclosure, we provide cash for keys. We can help with your foreclosure to make sure that you are afforded an opportunity to move with dignity and at your own pace and your own time. We will provide cash for your keys to help you move with dignity and not be forced out by your mortgage company. Contact Cash for Keys today at 470-209-1920. That's 470-209-1920. Cash for Keys. You're listening to the legendary WIGL Pace Set of 1570 AM where we give you a blend of classic R&B and your favorite gospel in the ATL. We now take you back to Dr. Bonnie Bonita and Bonnie with the View. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Dr. Bonnie Bonita with The View. And I am so missing our co-host, Pastor James Hunter, with Reconciliation Ministries. He is in Alabama with his family just celebrating Mother's Day and just having a wonderful time. We just want to say hello to him and much love. We were on the phone with Miss Johnson, a registered nurse, so speaking with us about the issues that have a lot to do with what's going on within the community, with the African-American community. So it's just important, family, that we understand our role and our plight in what happens to us. Like, we're not victims. We have to take responsibility for our own lives. And I always say that it does take a village, and I know that's a cliche a lot of us don't want to hear, don't want to recognize, don't want to understand. But when I was growing up, everybody in the neighborhood could tan your hide, so to speak, or let your parents know if you were not acting appropriately. Nowadays, if you try to inform a parent of the behavior of one of their children, then you're not sure whether you're going to get cut, get shot, get cursed out, get into a free-for-all. So a lot of us just keep our mouths closed because we are minding our own business. But if you consider that the family unit and the family and our children and this generation is our business and we have to take a conscious effort on making a statement, saying something. And I remember not too long ago, I'm in the store and these children were out of control and the parents were on their phone, not paying attention to the children and I would say when he pushed his brother a little boy pushed his brother down had to be about maybe he was 10 the little brother had to be about four or five and I said that's not nice why would you do something like that do you think that's nice do you think that's right what if somebody older shoved you down and the little boy looked at me just so curious like he didn't know what to say and I'm thinking again the parenting starts at home so when we see our little black and brown boys walking around with the pants down to their ankles or their knees and we think that's okay and their underwear is showing that's not okay when we see them cursing uh, smoking drugs using drugs selling drugs buying drugs that is not okay. So at some point, we have to say, what is our role within the family unit, outside the family unit, in the community, outside the community? What is our role? What should we be doing to make a difference? And it's not okay that your daughter grew up okay, your son grew up okay, your son went to college, your daughter went to college, or your son has a trait, or your daughter has a trait. They're doing good. They're making inroads. They're wonderful they're wonderful parents they're wonderful uh in their communities what about the less fortunate can we take responsibility on each one reach one and each one teach one and no i'm not speaking of taking a, a handout or or giving a handout or giving someone change on the corner no i'm saying 
take a position and help someone with their infant children. And, and it's not always about money. Sometimes it's just about time and recognition, right? And then also the respite care. So that that's the care that you give someone that just need a break from their children or their lives or what's going on, good, bad, or indifferent. Again, we have to be the person we aspire other people to be for people that we know and love and for people that we don't know and don't love. We still have to step in and provide that helping hand. And I know a lot of my friends will say, well, it's not my concern. It's not my business. Um, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And why not? And if it's not you, then who? And if it's not now, then when? When do we take responsibility? We are supposed to be our brother's keeper. And how do we do that? We do that by making sure that we take a special interest in what happens to them and their lives and their livelihood and how they end up. And remember now, these same individuals that you don't want to help, you don't want to do anything for, you don't want to say anything to, they have to live in our communities. They shop at the same stores we shop at, right? They go to the same movies we attend. They go to the same concerts. So if you want that behavior around you because you don't want to have to deal with anything with that person, then then we get what we got, right? And I don't think that that's fair to mankind. I think we owe a debt to society. We are a debt to our parents and our forefathers to do the right thing because Back during the slavery days, we looked out for each other. We were responsible for each other, right? We made sure that everybody was okay. We lent a helping hand. It was more than just about our immediate family members and our nieces and nephews and brothers and aunts and cousins and uncles. No, it was our neighbors. It was our friends. It was our coworkers. It was our church members. It was our sorority and fraternity members. We have to take a special interest in our own community so our community as a whole will thrive. I believe there are some people plotting and waiting for us to fail as a race, as a black community. They're hoping that we're our own demise, that we take out our own, that we eat our own, so to speak. That means that we don't take care about what's going on in our community. And just because you go into your nice home and your nice suburb and don't worry about what's falling down around you, it'll eventually get to you. Maybe not now, but sooner or later it will. Until we take responsibility for our children, our children's children, our neighbor's children, people that we know, people that we don't know, then we're forever indebted to what's going on in our society. And I'm not saying that what someone else's child does should have an impact on us and our lives, but I think it should if you really think about how you were raised and the values that you were taught. And if you understand now that a mom can be 15, a grandmom can be 30, a great-grandma could be 45, and a great-great-grandmother can be 60. So that means that you have children teaching children, and that's not going anywhere fast. We have to be held accountable for what's going on in our lives, in our schools, in our community. We have to be held accountable well, what's going on as our entire race, the black and the brown race, we have to be responsible. And yes, we cannot always blame the white man for our ills and the ills in our community and for what has happened to us and what we didn't get and what we should have got and what we feel we're owed and how for some reason we have to be responsible for other people. At this point, what I'm saying 
as a mother and as a grandmother, I want to take responsibility for all the children that are within my voice, within my sight, within my sound, that I could help, that I not be an enabler, but someone who helped them show that there is a way out, that you can make it despite your dad being in prison, your dad dead, your mom dead, uh, your mom on job, uh, on, on drugs, you being a, a crack baby, so to speak. Guess what? You have no excuses for failure. Your children have no excuses for failure. We should all be concerned with what happens to each other because we owe a debt to society and a debt to our ancestors, our forefathers, to make sure each one reach one and each one teach one. That way we won't have the systemic racism, the poverty, uh, the, the, the jails. We won't have all of these different things going on. And I have a caller. Caller, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, thank you for calling in. Did you have a, a message about Mother's Day, about parenting? Did you have a message for us? Oh, yes. I just wanted to make sure I spoke to all the mothers out there, first of all, to say Happy Mother's Day. Oh, thank um, you. You know, when you teach well, I heard you say that on the radio, um, they'll do better. So I've taught my children to be good people and good citizens. And because of that, I had a wonderful Mother's Day. They celebrated me because I celebrate them and the the adults that they'll be one day. Okay, so let me ask you a question. It sounds like you've raised some successful children. Can you tell us what you did to ensure that that happened, Mom? Well, what I did first and foremost was, of course, put God first and explain to them that no matter our situation, no matter um, the fact that, you know, uh, their father and I went through a divorce, no matter what happened between us, that they were good people. And I wanted them to be good people. I made sure that they understood to respect their elders. I made sure they understood that, you know, you put women first. I made sure that they understood to respect themselves, no matter what their friends or um, colleagues were doing, that they needed to know better. And so um, making those better choices enabled them to be better people. And they realized looking around, seeing people making bad decisions, that they weren't moving forward in their life and they were getting caught up in drama or, you know, not able to succeed or fulfill their goals. Whereas my children who didn't, you know, take time and make those type of mistakes are moving forward and, and making great decisions in life. And then so so one so would you tell us then because it sounded like you were a single mom at one point? Yes. Okay, and then so so what do you think helped you to survive and raise healthy, intelligent, educated children? Well, I had a great um support system. I have uh, wonderful um really strong women around me. Women who told me that I was I was great, that I was a good, I was good enough. You know, and I never was jaded, though I was a single mom and that relationship ended. I never was jaded. I was still very open to love because I respected myself and I held myself to that that standard. So when my children saw me holding myself to that standard, they wanted to be that way. I recently, my Mother's Day card I got from my college-age daughter um, stated something to the fact of, you know, Mom, I I never took any you know, anything bad from anyone else, because as I look at you, I see your grace and I see how you handle yourself and you're always a lady. And I look at myself in the mirror and say, you know, no matter what my mom was going through, she always handled herself with grace. So um, for that, I think, you know, sitting my kids down, helping them understand that what they were doing was important and that it was important for them to understand that no matter what happened between me and their father, that they could still make better decisions than maybe we made or look at the good decisions that were made and take from that versus seeing the bad things and feeling like they were a product of bad decisions. So, Mom, what would you say about some of the mothers who uh, have an issue with the fathers? They keep the children away from the fathers because they're not paying child support or they feel the fathers are not doing the right thing and they ended up taking up taking it out on the children. What would you say to that parent who... Um, has said a lot of bad things or mean things about the dad to the child. What would you say to that parent? I would say never do that. Honestly, that's their father. 
whether the father chooses to have a good, positive, um, emotional, physical relationship with the child, that's purely between the father and the child. It's not for you to give third-party advice to the children. That's their father, no matter what, no matter how good, bad, or ugly the parent is, that's still their father. And so if you degradate that person, if you take that person and, and call them trash to the kids, the kids won't respect them. Let them have their children are people, too. So they will actually take the time and they'll actually look at the situation and they'll make their own inferences. They'll make their own decisions and they'll see, you know, well, my dad is a good person, but he's just not good with my mother. Or maybe my dad is not a good person, but let them make that choice on their own. You can't feed a child information and expect them to have a positive relationship with the parent. That's not fair because, you know, for a relationship to end, two people had to have made mistakes, whether it be that person you know, doing something bad, but, you know, it, it is what it is. There was something that attracted you to this person and you created children together. So that's their father. You should never disrespect him in front of the children. So mom, let me ask you a question. What if a parent or a mom or a single mom or a single dad would say, well, I hate that person and I don't want them around my children. What would you say to that? I would say not to do that. I mean, there are you know, of course, if, if you can afford these type of things, there are therapies and therapists and group therapy you can, can do. I would say never to say that you hate anyone, first of all, especially not their father. Even if the, the person has done something bad, you, you take the time to explain to the child whatever it was that was done bad was wrong, but they have the right to have a relationship and have those questions answered on their own. So if their father did something wrong, to their mother, then they have the right to say, why did you do that to my mother? I, you don't have to tell the child that you hate the person because whatever feeling you have towards them is not necessarily the feeling that your children need to have towards that person. You keep that to yourself. And I see my board operator, Eli, is shaking his head. Eli, did you have a comment? I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think one of the worst things that a parent, male or female, can do to the children is to degrade the um the parent, because a lot of times they may already have an opinion and maybe a positive opinion about their mother or their father. And then here Mm -hmm. comes the mother and the father dumping negativity on what they have already thought positively about their mother or father. And it may not change it, but it'll taint it just a little bit. So, you know, you've got to, I mean, let don't like, like Dr. Just said, you know, your, your feelings toward that person will never be the same feelings that the child has because every daughter, every daughter loves their daddy. Every son has a special love for their father. So let them build that up on their own. I'm, I'm, I'm one of a, I'm a man of divorce of three times. I still, my, my first wife, we are friends today. Uh, uh, my second wife, where well, we aren't, fr- I mean, we're still friends. I don't, I mean, we broke up and it, there was a reason we broke up. And my third wife, we, we're friends today too. And I never talk down about my, never. I, what, what a person has to do is you take responsibility. Talk about what you didn't do right. Let the children right. know what you didn't do right. You accept accountability for what role you play because when anything's wrong it's two people involved there's their side there's his side there's the right side and then there's god's side so just take i think what i can really say be responsible for what you did wrong and let the children decide upon themselves how they feel about what their mother or father did to their parents That's amazing. So, Carla, let me ask you a question. Can you give us some pointers on what you feel you did correctly to ensure that your children uh, were successful? Well, personally, what I did was I I never let them see me sweat, if if I can say it that way. So no matter what was going on between me and their father, the things that they needed to do, which was be successful in the classroom, I made sure I was a very... Um, present parent in the classroom. So if the teacher needed anything, if they needed support or projects that needed to be done, I did that. So I'm showing them that without their father or with their father, I'm supporting them in whatever they do, whether it was sports or, or classroom. I was always there to make sure even if their father wasn't there, I was there supporting them. So it's almost like they didn't have time to think about, 
you know, what was not there or what we didn't have or what was minus, they were there feeling like they were complete and whole because I was always there um, making sure that, you know, they had the best of whatever they needed. And most importantly, the best thing they needed was just me to be present because if I wasn't there, they would have more time, more idle time to make bad decisions or to take the bad decisions that we made in our marriage and maybe feel like it was their fault and choose, you know, to do something negative. Like a lot of kids, you know, maybe choose drugs or go into depression or, um, you know, start hanging with the wrong crowd because they, their parents aren't present in their life. They don't feel like they can speak to them or they don't feel like they're there for them. So they reach out to, you know, other kids or other people, you know, feeling like they're more supportive of them than their parent is. So you can't take that anger and frustration that you have with your partner and, you know, keep yourself away from your kids. You have to still be present in their life. Make sure that you're showing them in your actions what an adult is supposed to be. Okay, and Mom, what would you say to someone who feels that if they buy their kids a whole bunch of things and they've done their job? Oh, no. Um, I absolutely disagree. My kids were the type of children that, uh, you know, maybe in our relationship we could have afforded anything. But the best type of parenting, the best thing you can do for your child is give them time. Give them presence. You, you know, be there for them. Be there you know, listening to them, you know, when they reach out for something, you're there for them. So, I, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of parents that will purchase things. It's almost like they're buying their love. Mm-hmm. But experiences are worth far more than gifts. If you're if you're if they're playing sports, you're, you're there at those games. If they're, you know, active in school, if they have presentations, if they're doing those, you're physically there. That's far more than actually buying things, because buying their love will just it creates a pattern in their mind that they think they're supposed to get in their next relationship, which would be a wife or a husband. And that's not everyone's love language. It's nice to receive gifts, but you can't buy someone's love and affection. Your physical presence there is worth more than a, um, a gift. Great. And so, and in your mom, what's the most pleasant experience you think, mom, you had with your mom? Um, I think probably the most pleasant experience I can remember is you know, being picked up from school and every day after school, you know, going to have that one-on-one time with my mom. Um, before we even got home to my father's, you know, she would make sure that, you know, maybe we went and got a snack or we went to the park and sat on the swings and talked about my day before we would even go home. And in my mind, you know, I'm thinking that this was all for me, but really I think it was for her too because parents need decompression time as well. So when she would sit up after school, you know, I, maybe it was traffic or something that she didn't want to drive in, but she would take me to the park up the street. And we would sit on the swing and swing and talk talk about my day. And as a parent now, as I look at it, I realize it was probably decompression time for her too because even adults need that time just to kind of breathe out, you know, before they go into the next part of their day, which is being wife and cooking and, you know, coming home to that. So, But that's, that's always my favorite memory because she always asked me about my day every day and we would sit on the swing and... And she would, you know, talk to me. And that was really important. So I think that's what I carried into my my job as a mom was being physically present in my kids' lives. Oh, well, Mom, well, I salute you today because it just seems like you've just been extraordinary with your mom and with your children. I salute you and all the mothers. And if you, if you don't mind, Mom, I'd like to just say a prayer for you and the other moms out there. Can I do that? Yes. Father God, we thank you today for the mom that's on the line with us and for all the moms, the grandmoms, the great-grandmoms, uh, the stepmoms, the godmoms, the mother-in-laws, uh, all the moms. We just thank you for placing them in our lives, Father God. We just thank you for the blessings that they have with the family and the wisdom that they continue to share with us and the godly love, Father God, that they have shown, Father God. We just thank you for the words of wisdom that they 
continue to express the gratefulness that they have, that they've shared with us about who they are, why they are, and their beauty, Father God, the beauty from within and without, Father God, the beauty that they have inside of them, the beauty that they have outside of them, Father God, the grace, the confidence, the nurturing, the wisdom. Father God, we just ask that you continue to bless and surround all the mothers around the world with the grace and favor, Father God, that they deserve, Father God. We just know, Father God, that the mothers, they love you, they need you, Father God, the blessings that they bestow upon their children, Father God, just the love, the understanding, Father God, everything, Father God, that is for you, that is about you, that is of you, Father God. We just pray that we continue to surround those mothers with love, Father God, and that you continue to answer their prayers, Father God, their needs, Father God, anything that they need, Father God, anything that they want, Father God. We just ask that you continue to bless them, Father God, in the name of Jesus, Father God. We just ask that you send your angels of grace and your mercy, Father God, to them to just go forward, Father God, to make that they make sure that they're always fruitful, Father God, that their needs are met, Father God, that they continue to love you and abide in you, Father God. We just pray, Father God, in Jesus' name. We just pray for your love and your understanding, Father God. Amen, amen, and amen. And thank you so much, caller. Please have a wonderful day. This is Dr. Thank Bonnie. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. You you're welcome. This is Dr. Bonnie Bonita with The View on WIGO 1570 AM. We've enjoyed having you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. And my co-host, uh, Pastor James Hunter, will be here as well. Thank you, and God bless. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Bonnie Bonita with The View. Please remember to send in any questions or comments to WIGLAM1570.com or you can reach Dr. Bonnie Bonita directly at BonnieBonitaWorldwide.com. You can also join our army of volunteer advocates. It takes a village. Our email address is Dr. Bonnie Bonita at BonnieBonitaWorldwide.com.